Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open up to the book of Mark, chapter 2, as we continue to look at the different miracles of Christ. The book of Mark, chapter 2, we're reminded that every miracle of Christ had some deeper theological implication than just the miracle. When he fed the thousands, it wasn't just a, a means for, uh, for a giant buffet, but Jesus was demonstrating that he is our sustenance, that, that man should not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father, and Christ himself was that word that proceeded out of the mouth of the Father. The scripture tells us that as Jesus calmed the storm, that he demonstrated his authority and his sovereignty over all of nature because he himself was the creator and was the sustainer of all of this material world. And so all of the miracles of Christ, everything from the healing of the blind man to the casting out of the demons to the the, the feeding of the thousands, every miracle of Christ has a deeper theological implication. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to, to look at these miracles of Christ. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 this morning. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered there together, and so there was no longer room even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed a roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. There were some... Of the scribes sitting there reasoning within their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, You're reasoning about these things in your heart, which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise, take up your pallet and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise. Take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and immediately took up his pallet and went out of sight of all, so that all were amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Pray. God, as we open up your word, Lord, may we see your providence, your goodness, your grace, your mercy demonstrated in this passage. Lord, may we see the different applications that you have for us. Lord, I pray this morning that my opinions, my convictions be set aside so that the word of God may have its intended result, Lord, to convict men of sin and to bring believers into obedience. God, we pray for your grace and your mercy here this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, let me give you just some brief background on Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 1, the end of Mark chapter 1. Jesus has been going around throughout all of Galilee, throughout all of Caesarea Philippi, and he has been healing. Uh, he's been healing the lame. He's been healing the sick. He's been healing the blind. He's been casting out demons. And so, so Jesus has, has essentially begun to eradicate disease from all, of, from all of the region in and around Caesarea Philippi. And so naturally, 
word gets out. Uh, you could only imagine uh, the, the amount of buzz that, that was happening as, as the lame were walking, as the blind were seeing, as the, as the deaf were hearing, as the dumb were speaking. And so, so while w- there was no Instagram, there was no email, there was no Facebook, word still traveled very, very quickly as, as lives were dramatically and radically changed in an instant. And so here it was that the, the fame and the, the word had gotten out that Jesus was healing. And that he was changing lives forever. And it had gotten to the point, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 45, it says, He went out and began proclaiming it freely. And so the news spread to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but he stayed out in the unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. So the scripture tells us that that Jesus had, that there was such a demand that that he could no longer enter the city for for the the people would just accost him and and would 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 surround him and he would be unable to to teach he'd be unable to 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 do uh the types of healings and things and so he stayed out in the countryside and people would come to him and so this is exactly where we have now as we get into the story there's this is probably one of the the first stories that as we as children learned about in sunday school how how many sunday school teachers have ever taught this story you can raise your hand. It's okay. You, you, you've taught this story. We've, we've taught this. These are one of the first stories that we teach our kids. And what's the first application we teach our kids? Look, their friends brought their friends to Jesus. And that is a timeless application. Here were four men who had a friend. They had someone that they knew that was in great need. He was paralyzed. He couldn't walk. We don't know if he was a quadriplegic a paraplegic, we don't know if he had spina bifida, we don't know what the deal was, but we know this man couldn't walk. And so their friend heard that, that there was this guy named Jesus in Caesarea Philippi in Galilee, and he was healing people, and they said, look, man, we, we got to go see this guy, Jesus. He said, there's a problem, man, I can't walk. He said, don't worry, we'll, we'll get you there. And so they exhausted their resources, their energy, and their effort, and they got their friend to Jesus. Now, there's a simple application. Friends bring their friends to where they can be healed. It's simple. It's obvious. But so simple and so obvious it is that we don't do it. Many of us are sitting here this morning. And we're looking around, and, and, and now granted, there are people who are on vacation and people who aren't here, but, but, but there's a lot of empty spots in these pews. And I know that every one of your coworkers, every one of your family members, every one of your friends, every one of your, your acquaintances don't know Christ. I know that, that they're going through difficult times in their lives. I know they're going through divorce. They're going through, uh, a, they're having relationship problems. They're going through hardships. They're going through 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 sickness, through illness, through pain. And you talk on the phones with them Monday through Friday and, and you empathize with them and you, 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 as the good Christian friend will do, you say, we'll pray for you. But we don't invite them to the place where they can find healing. We don't bring them to Jesus. Now, here's a, 
very simple question that can be answered by, by one of two answers. Are you inviting people to come to Jesus? And the answer is either yes or no. You're either inviting people to come to Jesus or you're not. And, and there's, a, there's a, wonderful, a wonderful statement uh, that, that has been become a mantra of a lot of believers. It says, you know, witness everywhere you go, and if necessary, use words. Share Christ with everyone you know, and if necessary, use words. Well, let me encourage you here to church, uh, here to this morning, church. It's necessary. Use words. It's necessary. Use words. Yes, we must live a life of, of holiness and righteousness in front of our friends, in front of our co-workers, but, but it is necessary for us to tell them who Jesus is. It is necessary for us to invite them to Christ. It is necessary for us to invite them to church. If we're not inviting people to Christ, there's only, there's only two possible explanations. One, one is that we've never been transformed by the life-changing power that is in Christ. If you have been, been changed, if your life has been radically transformed, if, your life, if you've been healed, either spiritually, physically, emotionally, if, if your life has been impacted by Christ, you cannot help but speak about what you've seen and what you've heard. That's what Peter and John said whenever they arrested them and they beat him and they threw him in jail. And then they warned them. They said, if you speak any more about this guy, they, Jesus will kill you. And they said, do with us as you must, but we can't help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. Why? Because their life had been radically changed by Christ. What did Jesus tell his disciples whenever, whenever he called his disciples? When he called his disciples, he said, you will no longer be fishers of men. Come and follow me, and I will, you will no longer be fishing for fish. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come and follow me, and when the opportunity presents itself, maybe you can invite somebody one day to come to me. He said, no, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There was a, it, it was a de definitive if-then statement. If you follow me, you will fish for men. There is no... There is no mincing of words here with Christ. And so, if we're not inviting people to Christ, if we're not inviting people to church, if we're not inviting people to come to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then there's only one of two conclusions. One, we haven't been transformed by the power of Christ. Or, two, we don't really believe what the Bible says. Well, you say, well, 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 preacher, I believe what the Bible says. I've been changed by Christ. I just, I'm really uncomfortable telling people, inviting people to church, inviting people to, to tell him about Jesus. Well, if you really believe what the Word of God says, then your lack of comfort would be eclipsed by the reality of what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that, that our friends, our loved ones, our co-workers are born into this world just as we are, sinners, destined for an eternity in a Christless hell. How much do you have to hate someone to sit next to them every day at work, know that, that Jesus is the only way for salvation, and never tell them about Jesus? If Jesus is the bread of life, if Jesus is the living water, if Jesus is the true vine, 
then why aren't we sharing? If God's word is the lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, if God's word is water to a thirsty soul, then why aren't we sharing? Why aren't we inviting? You know, every time in Scripture, every time in Scripture, there is there's a miraculous encounter with Christ. The Scripture says, they went away praising God. They went away giving God the glory. Every time in Scripture, we see it here. Every time there was a, there was a miracle, every time there was a life-changing epiphanic moment where, where, where Christ changed someone's life, the Scripture says they went away praising God. So oftentimes, we just go away. We show up for church. We have a wonderful worship experience. We fellowship with other believers. We're fed spiritually. We're encouraged. And then we go away. When we go to work, we go to the ball field, we go to our family, we go to Piccadilly, we just go away. If we encounter Christ, we cannot help but share. His friends, Mark chapter 2, his friends told their friends about Jesus. His friends brought their paralytic to this man whom they knew would change their life. So, the friends and the paralytic. Now, they show up. Now, I don't want us to miss the, the, the theological implication here. Verse 4. <clears throat> and being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof and they had they they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which their paralytic friend was lying. Why? Why did they go to this person whom they never met, dig a hole in his roof, and drop this guy who's, who's lame, who's paralyzed, down in front of Jesus? Because they believed what they had heard, that, that Jesus was going around through all the countryside, and he was healing, he was curing, he was, he was healing the lame, he was healing the blind, he was the deaf hear, the dumb speak, the, the, the hungry were being fed. There was, there was healing in this man Jesus. And so they believed that their friend would be healed by the miraculous touch of this man they called Jesus of Nazareth. Now, they come to Jesus, the paralyzed man. Now, now we don't know whether or not the paralyzed man heard about Jesus and, and called up his friends and said, hey man, you got to get me to go see this guy Jesus because if I can see this guy Jesus, maybe one day I can walk. Or whether the friends said, you know, there's this guy Jesus and they, 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 you know, if, if we can just bring little, little Johnny over to, go see, over to go see Jesus, then maybe little Johnny will be able to walk. We don't know who instigated the, the, the meeting between the paralytic man and Jesus, but we know that it was instigated because they heard this guy Jesus was healing people. And they believed that their friend's greatest need was his physical healing. And many of us come to church this morning. Many of us are going to leave church today. And we're going to believe that our greatest need is something in this physical, material world. If I just had a better job. If I just had more money. If I just had a better marriage. If I just had a better relationship with my parents. If I just had fill in the blank. We think that our greatest need is in this material, physical world. And that's how we live our lives. We live our lives 
chasing what it is that we believe that we need. We need X, Y, or Z, and we spend our time, our energy, our effort. We go to Barnes & Noble, and we buy books on how to become a better leader, how to become more successful, how to fix our relationship. We spend time, energy, and resources trying to get what we think we need, and then we'll come to church, and we'll come down to the altar, and we'll hit our knees praying for what we think we need. Notice Jesus' response. They come to Jesus. They believe. This paralytic man, his friends believe his greatest need is healing. His greatest need is, is, is physical healing for his, for his legs. Verse 5, Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic man, My son, your sins are forgiven. I imagine the guy, as well as his friends, respond by saying, Well, that's great, what about his legs? How many times have, have, have we come... Christ we come to church the word of God is spoken and we say well that's great but what about my promotion that's great but what about my grandma we come and we have these preconceived ideas of what we think we need and whenever God's word is applied to our lives we say thanks God but that's not really what I was looking for Thanks, God, I, I, I know you, wanna, you want me to, to trust you. I know you want me to place my faith in you. But, you know, if you could really do X, Y, and Z for me, that would be really great. Jesus understood that this man's greatest need was not his legs. That his greatest need was a spiritual need. His greatest need was that of a Savior. His greatest need was that of forgiveness. Because as this man stood... Or laid, rather. As this man was there before Christ, he lay there condemned. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. We see Jesus says this. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, we all know John chapter 3, verse 16, says, For God so loved the world who gave his only begotten Son, whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we want to stop reading right there because that's just so nice and makes for a great postcard. But if you keep reading, verse 18, it said, He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged or been condemned already. Verse 19, And this is the judgment, that, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and just as, as he's encouraging the church, this is how he encourages them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You were all dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. In verse 3, it says, And among them we too also formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh, and our mind were by nature, we were born into this world by nature, children of wrath. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter 7, as Paul illustrates this, he says, 
I do the very things I don't want to do, and the very things that I want to do, I don't do. Romans chapter 7, verses 19 and 20. He says, For the good that I wish to do, for the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very things that I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin which dwells in me. And if we are all honest with ourselves, we exemplify these very passages. We don't do what we ought to do, and we do what we shouldn't do. If you can't say amen, at least you can say ouch. You know, the, 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 the scripture is, is it's plain and it's clear. Our greatest need is not what we think it is. We think our greatest need is for something in this material world, for something in this physical world, but the scripture tells us very clear that we're going to stand before God and we're going to spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven and glory with God or in a place that the Bible calls hell in torment and torture. And that's a long time. We're on this earth 70, 80, 90 years if we're blessed. 70, 80, 90 years versus an eternity. Our greatest need is not in this physical world. Our greatest need is in the eternal, is in the life that is to come. And the only way that we will spend eternity in the glory and, and, and the glory of heaven and with the God who loves us and gave himself for us is if we find forgiveness, if we find grace, if we find mercy. And so here was this man who thought his greatest need was his physical need, and Jesus said, your spiritual need is so much greater. Your sin is forgiven. Now, it's important for us to understand that Christ did not simply say, your sins are forgiven, have a nice day. But Jesus saw this man's spiritual need as his greatest need, but in order that this man may understand his spiritual need, Jesus met his physical need. See, so oftentimes, as Christians, as Christians, somebody will come to us and, and they'll, life has just kicked them in the teeth. And how many of you know that, that sometimes life just kicks you in the teeth? I mean, you know, whether it's, whether it's financially, whether it's, uh, whether it's through your family, whether it's through relationships, whether it's through your, your workplace, sometimes life just kicks you in the teeth. And, and, and you turn around and, and everything was wonderful on Monday, and then on Tuesday morning you, you, you look around and you say, what happened? What happened? And you know, when life kicks us in the teeth, it's hard for us as humans to realize, well, that's okay. Everything on this earth doesn't matter anyway. Because it does. Because while we're only here 70, 80, 90 years, we're still here 70, 80, 90 years. And we've still got to live in the world that we live in. And we have family and we have friends and we have loved ones and we have children. Whenever somebody comes to us, and I, we have it all the time, they come to us at church, life has kicked them in the teeth. They're being evicted from their apartment, or they can't pay their electricity bill, or their car's broken down, or their wife left them. Fill in the blank. It's always a temptation of the pastor to sit down with them, pray with them, 
give them a gospel track and say, you know, your greatest need is not your electricity bill. Your greatest need isn't that you need gas in your car. Your greatest need is you need Jesus. You pray with them, say, have a nice day. But if you don't put gas in their car, they don't care what you have to say. If you don't feed their kids, they don't care what you have to say. If they're like, if, if, if they take this gospel track home and the word of God home and they go sit in a dark apartment, it's awful hard for them to see the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ as they come to a place that is supposed to be a lighthouse, a place that is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, and then go home and say, but I got the Bible. I'm sitting in the dark. My kids are going hungry, but I got a track. You know, Jesus didn't heal this, didn't forgive this man and say, okay, go have a nice day. But no, Jesus said, in order that you may know that the Son of Man has the power, has the authority to forgive sins, take up his pallet and walk. Jesus met both the spiritual need and the physical need. Church, we can't sit on our, on our pious platitudes and tell people how this world has nothing for me and we need to be looking to the world that is to come and tell our friends and our loved ones and our, and our, and our co-workers that Jesus has the answers and that, that, that Jesus is, is the, the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the bread of life, that he is the true vine, that he is the living water, and say, have a nice day. No, we've got to meet them where they are. We've got to meet their physical needs. James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. James says it like this. He says, you show me your faith apart from your works. Look at verse 17. He said, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead by itself. Verse 18, someone may say, I have faith. I say, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Church, if we want to impact the world that we live in, if you want to impact your co-workers, if you want to impact your friends, your loved ones, if you want to impact those moms and dads that are at the ball field with you, show them your faith by your works. Share the gospel at all times. And when necessary, and it's always necessary, use words. When they're sitting at the ball field and they're telling you how their laundry piling up because their washing machine broke and they don't know what they're going to do because their husband just got laid off meet the physical needs hey won't you bring your laundry over to my house my washing machine works just fine we'll wash clothes and as you're washing clothes you have an opportunity to share with them about christ you say i i, I can't even begin to tell somebody about jesus you don't have to Tell them how Christ changed your life. You don't need to memorize a bunch of passages of scripture and have a, a five-point outline. Tell them about how Jesus changed your life and say, hey, come to church with me. It's important that we see that Christ met the physical need as well as the spiritual need. Now, it's not enough simply to give someone a hot meal. It's not enough simply to give someone a gospel tract. We must give them bread and introduce them to the bread of life they go hand in hand apart from meeting their spiritual need all you are is the american red cross apart from meeting their physical need all you are is a pharisee that passed by the good samaritan that passed by the the man who was beaten and left on the side of the road 
So our responsibility, church, our responsibility is to sow the seed of the gospel. Now let me encourage you with this. The fruit of the gospel is not your responsibility. The fruit of the gospel, bringing men and women unto salvation, that's not your job. It's not your responsibility. Our responsibility is to be light in a dark place. Jesus says, so let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our responsibility is to live like Jesus. Our responsibility is to tell others about Jesus. Our responsibility is to meet physical needs. Our responsibility is to meet spiritual needs. It's Jesus' responsibility to bring on salvation. Mark chapter 4, just a couple verses later. Mark chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Jesus is telling a parable. And he says it like this. He said, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and goes to bed at night. Gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know. The farmer does nothing but sow the seed. And then he goes to sleep. He sows and then he sleeps. Your job, church, is to sow. And then rest in the reality that God is the one who is bringing the harvest. When our lives are changed and needs are met, God receives glory. You say, but preacher, I'm just a plumber. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just an insurance salesman. I don't know anything about this whole sharing the gospel stuff. That's why he wants to use you. People don't like to listen to preachers. They don't trust preachers. They've seen them on TV. They've seen them lie. They've seen them cheat. They've seen them steal. They don't trust them. But you know who they trust? They trust the guy that lives next door to them, that feeds their dog when they goes out of town. They trust, they trust the guy that that they've been working next to for the last 14 years. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says this. He's encouraging the church at Corinth. And he says, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Look at verse 21. For since the wisdom of God through the world, through, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. So I, I, I don't know what to say. I'm going to sound foolish. Good. God desires to use broken vessels. He desires to use ordinary men, ordinary women, because when he uses broken vessels, when he uses ordinary men, ordinary women, who gets the glory? God does. God gets the glory. When he, uses, when he uses broken vessels, when he uses men like Moses, when he uses men like David, a shepherd boy, when he uses men like Gideon, a, a, a fearful coward, when he uses these broken vessels, God receives glory. When he uses an insurance salesman, and he uses a, a, a CPA, and he uses a, a nursery school teacher, God receives glory. 
so let the light of God, the light of Christ shine through you so that the world may see Christ in you and God may receive glory. God wants to use you, church. He wants to use you. We simply have to be obedient. We sang a song just a few minutes ago, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And obedience is this. Telling men and women, co-workers, friends, loved ones, where you found healing, forgiveness, grace. God wants to use you. Mark chapter 2 tells us about a man who was broken. His friends brought him to Jesus because they heard that Jesus could change his life. Jesus met his needs spiritually and physically. And look how it ends. Verse 12. He arose, immediately took up the pallet, went out in the sight of all, so that they were all amazed, were glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. What happens if you go back to your workplace? You go back to your family, your friends, your neighbors. And you share with them how God has changed your life. And they come and they meet this Jesus. And he changes their life. And they go and share with their co-workers, friends, loved ones, how Jesus has changed their life. And they come and meet this Jesus. And he changes their life. Do you see the principles? The only way that you can do that is if your life has indeed been changed by Jesus. Do you understand your greatest need is for salvation? Your greatest need is for forgiveness, mercy. Because you were born a sinner. And you stand before God condemned. But Jesus said, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden. The scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the very righteousness of God Romans chapter 5 says that God demonstrated his great love towards us and that while we were sinners Christ died for us and if we place our faith and trust in Jesus we too might find forgiveness let's pray God we do thank you for Jesus that he meets us where we are that he sees our greatest need is for salvation our greatest need is for forgiveness Lord, if there's someone here this morning who needs to trust Jesus for salvation, they may have come here this morning thinking their greatest need was that their marriage be fixed, they get a better job, a better promotion. But Lord, you, re- you revealed to them that their greatest need is for salvation. If that's you this morning, in just a few moments, as we sing a, hymnita- a hymn of invitation, I want to invite you to come. Or maybe you're out there this morning and, and God has spoken to your heart. And so many times before, He's spoken to your heart and you've just gone away. Today, God has convicted you that you have a responsibility to go away and share about what Christ has done in your life. Or maybe this morning, you have a need. You have a very real physical need 
spiritual need. And you need Christ to meet that need. The scripture tells us that we are his church. We are his hands, his feet. We are his body. If there's a need here this morning, I believe that God can meet that need. So we sing this hymn of invitation. May your Holy Spirit have the freedom to work in this place this morning. It's in Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen.